This week's guest is Olivia Lidstrom, who currently resides in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Originally born and raised in rural Pennsylvania, Olivia moved to Pittsburgh to pursue a biology degree at the University of Pittsburgh. It was during this time that Olivia got her start in the industry during her final year of college. Eventually moving on to work nearly every role at her literal farm-to-table restaurant, Olivia successfully passed the certified sommelier examination in 2018 through the Court of Masters Sommeliers. We talk with Olivia about the bar scene in Pittsburgh, sexual harassment in the industry, the fine balance between taste and appearance of drinks, and the environmental and social influence of cocktail competitions. Enjoy this week's show. Welcome to the Industry Podcast. We're back with an, for another week. Uh, I'm Kip. This is Dan. That's, What's going on, man? Not much. Another another awesome day for Doctor Awesome. What did you say? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but I, I I can never achieve the level of Doctor Awesome. Well, but it takes a while. It takes a while, but especially because you know. There's a pandemic, and I work in the service industry. Oh, yeah. That's a good point. <laughs> it's, it's much less than awesome. It's more like doctor, don't sleep. Yeah. <laughs> so things are going well, you're saying, in other words. Yeah, it's terrific. Every day is a miracle. Yes, perfect. Uh, but, that, but enough about us. Yes. Enough about us. <laughs> We're going to be bringing in uh, another terrific guest for you today on the Industry Podcast. Olivia Lindstrom will be joining us shortly. Uh, a couple housekeeping notes. If you love the show... Please help us out by subscribing, rating, and reviewing. It really doesn't take any time. You just, like, you, you, you call it up on the podcast feed, wherever you listen. You just hit the subscribe button. Mm-hmm. You don't even have to listen to them. That's true. You don't, actually. <laughs> but you will download them. Yes. Uh, uh, shout out to Zach Hanna at Zach Hanna Design, as always, for the mm-hmm. amazing artwork. And um, if you do wish to be a guest on the show and you want to tell your story on the Industry Podcast, just DM us at the Industry Podcast on Instagram um, and we'll get you on there. And, and we've been saying as well now, if you listen to the show and, uh, you, and you don't, uh, you're not actually in the industry, but you have a, a couple of topics you'd like us to discuss, then you should do that as well. DM us. Uh, check out the archives. Great shows lately. We had... Um, Leah Pupkin at the bar director. We had Gareth Berg. And we had, uh, who do we have before Leah? Uh, Joey Smith was two weeks Joey ago. Uh, Parker Luffman. That's Parker right, Luffman, Parker Luffman, yes. So check out all these Joey Smith, Parker Luffman, all in the archives. Uh, you should definitely be definitely be checking out all those. The next, uh, next week we will have the aforementioned uh, roundtable about no tip culture in the service industry. So that should be, assuming we can pull it off, that should be uh, can't miss. Oh, yes. <laughs> that is correct. Uh, we've, ne- we've never had to deal with multiple guests. So yeah. It's usually just out. two idiots yammering and one good guest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Enough about us. Let's bring in our guest today. We have Olivia Lindstrom with us. How are you doing, Olivia? I'm doing great. Um, you know, a little bit of nerves with the... Uh, impending election tomorrow but other you're than right that, so we so by the time this drops the election will have already happened and perhaps the entire north america will have burned to the ground but at this point <laughs> at this point we are recording on november 1st the u.s election is tomorrow i wish i could tell people to go vote but we i should have done that three weeks ago yeah <laughs> yeah it affects us too up here all right yeah <laughs> for sure <laughs> Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, I'm I'm very excited for my election party tomorrow, where I'm just gonna get drunk and uh, hopefully watch 
Trump not win the election again. Yeah, that, well, uh, it might be a three week long wait. Yeah, that's true. I definitely already have some cocktails batched out for tomorrow. So. Oh, good. What, what's your cocktail? What's your election cocktail of choice? Made some um, boulevardiers, but I'm mm. doing some oolong tea into the sweet vermouth. So a little bit of sweetness to it but my my plan is just to funnel red wine until um and then hopefully crack some sparkling wine when if we get it if we get an early result let's go florida come on florida <laughs> my friends are actually doing a uh, price is right um what time they're gonna announce like which candidate won so we'll see right well trump will announce it probably early tuesday morning right. <laughs> <laughs> that i was like uh probably 11 15 p.m from tries to declare he won yeah exactly <laughs> uh okay so you're coming to us from pittsburgh which is uh Ooh, pennsylvania it's the big state that's the yeah. big state for this election right? I <laughs> so yeah lots of nerves okay Bear in mind that this election will have already happened by the time this podcast airs, but um, like you're speaking into the future or the past, I guess, at this point. Mm -hmm. Tell us, how do you think Pennsylvania is going to go? Um, I'm trying to be optimistic about it. Uh, like stat wise, I feel like there's been a lot of like early Democrat votes. So I think that's really excellent. A lot of younger voters in our state. Um, even like talking to like my parents' generation, um, seems like they're going a little bit more blue than they normally do. So mm, I think we're going to have a, a positive, well, in my opinion, a positive outcome <laughs> tomorrow, uh, hopefully. That's what we like to hear. That's mm -hmm. great. And by the time this airs, hopefully that's what's happened. Uh, okay. So, uh, you, you, have you always lived in Pittsburgh, Olivia? Uh, so I actually grew up um, in eastern Pennsylvania in a tiny rural town like outside of Reading, PA. Um, I moved to Pittsburgh to go to college and I lived here for eight years. Um, and then I just recently moved to Philadelphia a couple oh. of years ago. So uh, hitting up every uh, area uh, in Pennsylvania. Uh, all, the, all the hot spots. Um, what's the COVID situation like there for you currently? Um, it's a little different in both cities. So because Philly's population is a little bit larger, their regulations have been definitely a little bit more strict. They um, only allowed indoor dining significantly later than Pittsburgh did. Um, unfortunately, when Pittsburgh did that, they actually had to rescind like any um, like indoor dining. So a lot of places had to close back up. Um, uh. But it's it's like hit or miss uh in the more urban areas you're definitely like seeing a lot of more mass and safety and the rural areas like out where my parents live it you know is what you would expect it to be so i like are you in a phase in Pit, uh, philadelphia now though where bars and restaurants are open for indoor dining or yeah uh at 50 percent. 50 percent. and what's how's it looking as far i mean i know i guess you just moved there but what's the are lots of places closing down or are people hanging on um it seems like 50 50 from what mm. i can tell um granted like i'm not currently working anywhere in philly so i only like vaguely know what's going on um a lot of like smaller businesses like the even capability of having 50 percent capacity doesn't make sense and mm -hmm you know, won't support even paying their staff. So 
it makes more sense for them to kind of wait it out and see if they can endure what's, you know, what the future holds, which yeah. is kind of very much up in the air right now. Yeah, it's crazy. Like we're looking for a, at a couple of years of this, but uh, right. hopefully, hopefully we can all make it to the other side or at least as many as possible. <laughs> That's yeah. uh Crazy scenario. Um, anyway, uh, let's talk about more positive things. How did you get into the service industry back in Pittsburgh? Uh, so I was in college still. I had been working in um, a plant lab, actually. And um, my primary investigator had retired. He was going to go work at a museum as a curator. So I was like going into my last year of college and I was like, shit, I need to pay my bills. Like I got to go find something. So I was mm -hmm. like, retail or the service industry. So I like walked into this hotel and I was like, I'd like to be a server. I have no experience, but like I am enthusiastic, energetic. Like I'm happy to put in the best effort for this. Like I know it's your job and I care about doing a good job. So um, I think week one, I was like, oh, I really love this. And like, I like this like hospitality aspect. And then like, I had no idea what cocktails were. I was I wasn't even 21 at the time. So I was like, this is interesting to me and like kind of scientific in a way that like I really appreciated. Um, so that kind of like really sparks more of like a curiosity than like even a career option. Um, so that first job actually ended up um, ending because I wanted to go to Colorado and go snowboarding with my boyfriend at the time. <laughs> yeah. and my boss told me no. So I quit on the spot. Right. Yep. <laughs> you know, 20 year old me, doesn't regret sure. it. I mean, 26 year old me doesn't regret it at all either. <laughs> uh, so I had to, you know, look for a new job after I came back from that trip and I ended up working in like a really cool, um, like, you know, farm to table um, restaurant that really cared about, what they were crafting behind the bar, especially. And it like really, really connected with like what I was doing in school at the time. And um, also the conversation about wine. I was like, oh, things that are growing on, in, out of the ground. Like I, I know everything about this. This is awesome. Yeah. And what did you, you went to school for what, sorry? Uh, so I have a degree in biology, chemistry and Italian studies, which Oh, Italian studies. I've been teaching myself Italian through this COVID. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Duolingo. It's a, it's a miracle. Hey, that app actually came out of Pittsburgh too. So. Oh, did it really? Yeah. yeah. That's, that's why I brought it up. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> that's the kind of hosting I do around here. Olivia. <laughs> I'm impressed. <laughs> I did the research. Um, so. When you start working at, uh, and what was that place called? Sorry, I, I have it in my notes. Uh, my, my this is also the kind of hosting I do. I can't remember the place. Uh, so the second or, or the first job I had. The second job where the farm uh, table spot. Spork. So, Spork, right. So uh, at this point, um, what what was your first job at Spork? So I was actually a back waiter. So mm -hmm. my job was mostly to just like clear silverware and dishes, um, off tables, polish glassware, you know all of the nitty gritty of, of the restaurant world besides dishwashing. Right. Yeah. So yeah, you're the bitch. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but, but that we've talked to several people on the show who have started either as a bar back, back waiter, a hostess, a, like dishwasher. And these are the kind of jobs that really sort of subtly teach you the 
industry and like what take what it takes to go into it and yes. and, and and teaches you a lot about like organizing your time how to do that etc would you agree with that I absolutely I would say that I've learned more time management working as a back waiter than yeah. any other job in my entire life right so that definitely counted for something and like just an appreciation for like the behind the scenes of how restaurants work because like previously in my life I you know, went to restaurants and sat there and enjoyed my meal. And I never liked to complain. So like, I was never that person that was like nitpicking over anything. But um, no, I had definitely had a pre appreciation. Once I started working in a restaurant, I was like, shit, this is hard work. Like, this is a lot on my feet. This is a lot of like calculating how fast I need to be moving what I should be doing at this time. Who's asking for what before they even ask for it. So yeah, my appreciation for anybody that works in the industry, like, you know, went 100%. At yeah, that point. yeah I, I agree. Like, those jobs are so valuable. Like, uh, I and I, and I kind of feel like the people who didn't get, who sort of just went right into being a server or a bartender, just got lucky and didn't have to work their way up, they, I, I feel like they're, I mean, it, I, obviously there's exceptions to every rule, but they're, like, they're missing something in the mm. like and a lot of it is time management and also a little bit of like being humble yeah i was exactly that's exactly what i was gonna say there is yeah. definitely some humbleness with working your way up i mean granted like i always felt like the little kid in any restaurant because i was always like so much younger than everyone but mm -hmm. that kind of also made me feel like i don't know the encouragement was always there because like, you know, you're rooting for your little sister all the time. Right, yeah. So it was, it was a cool experience. What kind of a place was Spork or is Spork? I don't know if it's still around. Um, so it's like more of like a fine dining um, restaurant. Like things were relatively expensive in price, um, but it was like small plate based. Um, our chef kind of did cuisine from all over the place, like really whatever inspired him which was really cool but like we like went as far as like grinding our own grains to make flour for our bread and our pasta oh, wow. so, uh, we had like a small little farmish garden like next to the restaurant where we were using produce and um things out of there so when I say farm to table I mean it was like actually right outside <laughs> oh, yeah that's, uh, that's as direct as it gets <laughs> um that's awesome so and this is where you start to discover wine or were you already into wine before you worked there um I mean the best wine I had before this was Franzia out of a box so I can't <laughs> yeah. wine beforehand I mean don't sleep on box wine for camping but, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. I'm actually going camping this weekend and I already have a box of wine in my car ready to go actually it's funny they're they're doing better box wine now I have a um, at least one rep in town who uh, delivered this, um, I think it was a Nero Davila, uh, you know, in a box that was actually delicious. And I'm um, like, we actually had some box wine on our um, wine list for a little bit. Then. Oh, you did? Eh? Yeah. So, yeah, you agree. Yeah. Uh, it's got a bad rep, just like, well, as it probably should. <laughs> but, <laughs> but really, if you're like, if to have at your house, like if you're like for looking sure. to save a little bit of money, and I, I always say that, that, the wine courses that I took, the the best part about them was teaching me how to buy wine cheaper. Yeah, 
That's like realizing that you don't have to spend. To know, stop yeah. looking at the top shelf. That doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah, like I have a, I have a goal. I will never spend more than twenty dollars on a bottle of wine, but because at least I have the knowledge now to not have to do it. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, so the box wine's great. Like you just put it, you have it in your house. It lasts like a week, or if you're having a hard week, it lasts two nights. And, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so it's good that they're making better. What, what about canned wine? Are they making good canned wine yet? Um, there were a couple good canned wines that we were bringing in um, when I was ordering it in Pittsburgh. Um, Frico was one of them. There's like a little pig on the label. Um, they had an excellent canned Lambrusco. I will always. I will probably die on the hill that like Lambrusco is one of the best wines out there. Really? My uh, Italian love and you know, all of that bullshit, but yeah, yeah. Well, that's all right. I'm a sucker for the Italian wine as well. So you, got, <laughs> you had me. Um, okay. So this is sort of, so obviously this is where you gained your love of wine. You gained some knowledge about wine, uh, work, working in sports. Did you have like a mentor that was teaching you this stuff or? Um, so uh, my GM at the time, so Sean Enright, um, like a pretty well-known person in Pittsburgh. He like kind of curated some of the craft cocktails uh, seen in here uh, in general, but he just like handed me a book one day. I was like, here, read this. Like, it seems like you love to learn. You just got out of college. You're probably bored. Just like read this book. Right. So, <laughs> it was all about, it was just like wine follies like the first edition, like pretty rudimentary, but like super interesting and the graphics and they're actually drew me in more than anything. Yeah, and, I started yeah. reading and I was like, okay, like what else? Like, let me, you know, dive into the wine Bible and um, the restaurant actually offered to pay for my tests through the court of uh, master sommeliers. So I was like, okay, that's kind of an amazing thing. Like these right. are pretty expensive. So you know, I, if that's an opportunity, like I'd love to take it. So, um, yeah, took uh, the intro test in February of 2018 um, in Philadelphia. And then eight months later, I took my certified up in uh, the Finger Lakes in New York. So it was like a very rapid, like, I want to know everything kind of mentality. Yeah, that's and, like, fast. Like dove in, um, which I th think I do with everything when it comes to learning, but so when you say certified eight months later that's like how many courses you've already taken before you get to that um so they so with the court um there aren't necessarily courses you take it's independent study um, oh. suggest so from introduction to certified they ask you to do like a year to year and a half off before you go for the second test because the second test is not just a written test it's written a blind tasting and then a service portion okay yeah it's a little bit more um intensive than you know the first test that you take to get your like intro pin um so i was like nah i'm gonna do this way before a year <laughs> yeah wow that's crazy uh, i mean I mean, obviously, you like to study. So, <laughs> so uh, I myself, when people are like, so how do you define yourself? And I like try not to say bartender, or, you know, scientist or whatever. I'm like, I'm just a lifelong learner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Well, let's talk about uh, an uncomfortable subject then, because uh, it's just recently come out a New York Times article where 
there's uh, all these sexual harassment cases have been brought forward, almost like a Me Too movement for the Master Sommelier, the Court of Master Sommelier program. Uh, and I know that you have probably, uh, just from our previous conversations, have encountered some sexual harassment on your own, uh, whether being on the job or, or I don't know whether it was specifically through the course, but can you speak a little bit about what's going on with that? Sure. Um, so mine specifically had not like support. Um, you know, unfortunately, as a woman in the industry, like it is something that you constantly have to be aware about. Um, but you know, after the Me Too movement, and you know, even into like the 2010s, like it was kind of you know, something that would be expected of the men in the industry. Like this wasn't something we should have been worried about. Like I shouldn't be invited to, um, you know, a hotel room to go taste wine and like be worried about the situation mm-hmm. because it, what it was supposed to be an equal playing field, like as a man that shouldn't have happened. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't personally know any of the women, um, in that article, I was, not quite in the wine industry when all of that kind of happened. Yeah, they um, seem a little bit older than you for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, it's part of the issue too is like the court has known about this for a while. Like mm-hmm. this isn't something that's like new news. It's something they've been kind of just brushing under the rug because it's such a prestigious um, group of people that they just like didn't want to deal with the backlash that was going to come with this. Um, so like, I just saw an Instagram post today that they put out, like, you know, they took away all of these masters, um, pins and et cetera, et cetera. Um, but like the people who then are deciding what is going to happen going forward are also the people who have known about the situation within, you know, X amount of time. So there's a lot of people pushing for like removing all of the board of directors, like getting new people in place to be leaders in that community. Um, before I even was like privy to all of this knowledge, like it, it was always, it's always a boys club. Like there are. So it seems like a, just a bunch small. of fucking like it's a <laughs> old white dudes, like just like the I mean, movie. Like, that's yeah. part of the reason why I like never um, continued with like, the court after I got my second level, cause there are technically four levels. Um, you know, I sat down after my exam, like very proud of myself. Like I was super excited and, you know, I just like thought about it. And I was like this whole experience, like the two days that I was there, it wasn't even the most welcoming experience. Like it just felt like I just like went through the motions of it. And like, it felt like I was just doing something to do something. Um, even though it is a, like a, a great accomplishment, but um, I don't know. It just like also kind of left a bad taste in my mouth. Like, yeah, well, it sounds like a I lot of be a part of the boys club. Am I just doing this because like, yeah, well, it's like, it's just a sixth scenario in society anyway. Like it's the same with the right. movie industry and politics and whatever. It's all these old white fuckers. Like I'm an old white fucker. So, so I just much. like, <laughs> so, like a shout out hey, to the, uh, 
Shout out to no. the good ones. Shout out to the good ones. We're not we're not causing any of these issues in the podcast industry <laughs> yet. Yeah, <laughs> just kidding. But uh, um, but yeah, like it seems like a lot. Like a lot of the problems are these just fucking old entitled white dudes are running the show, and they get they sat, There was this one guy. I mean, you would probably know his name better than I do because I I read all the articles today, but remembering all their names was crazy because I don't even want to. But uh, the guy was in that Psalm documentary, and uh, he seemed to have a lot of cases filed against him, and they stripped him of all his shit. I noticed that. He was the, you know, the primary culprit of, I think, 15 to 20 women, like, came out and said that. He pulled the, he pulled the, invited them to his hotel room to taste some wine and answer the door naked. Like, yeah, like, in what world is that okay? <laughs> what are you, Chris Delia? <laughs> Sorry, sir. Like, I'm trying to, I don't know, be a professional here. Like, are you, like, what in your mind thinks that was fine? Yeah. It's, the it's like, I'm, I'm going to get away with it. It's my right to be doing this as a master psalm and a white man that, you know, yeah, I'm never going to get in trouble. It's a power dynamic because these women have spent all this time trying to get ahead and also like, but, but the right way, like just by through study, trying to like, this is their career. And they, they, you know, like a guy with his power in that industry invites you to his hotel room. It's like almost like, well, you don't want to insult him. Like it's, it's a really sick power dynamic. Yeah. Right. Cause if that like insult potentially ends my career, right. Like how, how am I going to rationalize that? Like that's yeah, and it did. So but there was there was that this, doesn't have an yeah. answer to it. Yeah, all the work you've put into it, right? And like it's yeah, it's just not. It's completely unfair. And there was a story about that, like where I guess one of the and he was like a teacher in the program as well had like propositioned one of the students. She turned him down, and then he found out that she slept with another student in the class, and they slammed the door in their face when she tried to walk into the classroom the next day yeah like fucking crazy like uh anyway it's a sad scenario but uh, do you want to talk a little bit or if you if you don't want to that's fine also obviously it's your story but like about your experiences with sexual harassment in the service industry in general yeah sure um i mean i think a majority of these things that happen in the industry are one fueled by alcohol i mean we're constantly around it um it feels necessary at times to participate. Um, and I think that's part of the problem. It's never an excuse, but it's part of the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just situations, I think in my personal opinion and, and experience, um, just feeling very comfortable in like your environment and then eventually feeling too comfortable and people take advantage of that, uh, you know, is it's hard not to feel guilty in those situations because like you always think, Oh, I should have known better. I, it's always like, I should have where Mm -hmm. that's not the case. Like the people who are responsible for the harassment or assault, like it is their fault. And like, it's hard as a woman sometimes to like rationalize how you feel. Um, because it's, it feels like you're a victim, but then you're also like responsible for being a victim, which is a hard conversation to have with yourself and like I've had this with like a a lot of women and um 
you know, it, it, it never feels like there's a right answer at the time. Um, luckily, like I've always had a really good support, support system, like in the industry and outside of the industry. So, um, I'm always happy to talk to any woman that like needs somebody to talk to. I'm there for them. And like, I know so many other women and men too. You guys are also great. Love the allies. Shout out. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, it's, it's still an uncomfortable conversation to have. Like even sexual harassment, um, training is, it's uncomfortable to have. And like, I want that to disappear. Like I want it to be commonplace to talk about like, Hey, this is not okay. Like, and if you do it, like, sorry, your, your career in this industry is over. Like this, it's not something to be tolerated. Um, and if we can like make those conversations okay to have, I think eventually like, you know, we might get rid of it. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I, I mean, do you really think it's happening that much? I, like I can only speak for what goes on in Canada. I don't know what happens in the U S but I don't really feel like restaurants and bars are having sexual harassment training. Like no, not, not, so. not even big, not even the bigger corporate like chain places really do it. Right. And like, part of the problem is too like where where is hr in the industry like this is one of the unique things in our industry is like not a lot of places have a human resources department Mm -hmm. um and especially you know those small businesses chef owned places like they're not gonna have an hr person well i mean they can't afford it right exactly (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I know there are some like initiatives throughout the United States, like there's um, Green Dot, which I think is a national wide um, organization that does some sexual harassment um, awareness and also training. Uh, In Pittsburgh, we actually have uh, an organization called Pittsburgh Action Against Rape, and they have uh, like a specific program that's centered towards giving um, restaurants and their staff the tools in order to like combat any sort of harassment in the workplace, um, whether it's, you know, between coworkers, uh, guests to coworkers, guests with other guests. Um, and they kind of like go through this whole scenario, uh, system for you. And you like, kind of like hear what you can do as a bystander or if you're in certain situations. So I thought that was always cool. Like we did it in, uh, at Spork. So now, but that's something that's obviously that the the restaurant or bar is going to have to pay for as well, right? It's free. Uh, oh, it was free. free it was free. Okay. Yeah. Like so. So these are volunteers who come in and do it. Uh, so they're nonprofit. Nonprofit. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, now that is stuff that we need more of because that, like, I always feel like, it, especially if you're a smaller spot, like this is a spot that I own, for instance, whatever. Like, there's only so many dollars to go around, and as much as you want to do something like that, you can't afford to like bring in a firm to do it for you. You can't afford to have an HR department as much as you wish you could. Um, so, if you don't have a nonprofit organization like that in your city or whatever, like you say, you have a national one. I don't know if there's a national one in town. I guess I probably should know, um, or in Canada. Sorry, but um, the like. It doesn't need to be start starting just to have these conversations like day one, the place opens and or anyone new gets hired and you just lay it out like this is what is acceptable. This is what is not acceptable. Like, does that have to be like sort of uh, woven into the orientation packages as, as much as like, here's where the alarm is. Here's where, you know, I mean, why shouldn't it be right? 
Yeah. Uh, you're creating standards for your workplace. Yeah. Why should, why should that not be a standard? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. I know. I think it's just we live, we work in such a casual industry in so many respects. We all take it seriously, but it's so casual behind the scenes so much that it's like somebody, you hire someone, and I'm guilty of this as well. They hire somebody, and it's just like, well, here's how to use the POS system. Like, Great. let's go. <laughs> you know, Here, here's where you sign up for time off. And that's kind of the conversation you have. I think, I like, in that aspect, like, that's such a positive uniqueness of the industry. Like, Oh, here you go. Like, just do what you got to do. Like, I trust in you and your abilities. Also, you know, you make great friends with your coworkers in a way that mm. a lot of other industries do not. Um, but yeah, that casualness uh, sometimes becomes your enemy in certain situations. But yeah, I think like, if anything, including some sort of conversation right off the bat would be super beneficial for everybody. Yeah. Like, like when, when you when you're talking about it, you're saying it out loud, it just makes fucking common sense. But I like, but, but then I'm still the guy who hires someone. I was like, oh, here's how the POS works. <laughs> you, know, like you just don't think about it. How the POS works. Also, please don't sexually harass. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we got to find a way to mix that in with a natural transition. It's like here's the POS. Here's where you hang your coat. Don't grab that person's ass. <laughs> right, <it's> like, <laughs> yeah. Be respectful. Uh, oh. Oh, is that yeah. a hard concept? <laughs> well, I think part of the problem too is that like for in in the places like I would like to say the places I own, like you you assume it's common sense, but it's very clearly not, right? Like especially in this time, uh, like in this time that we live in now, it's like it's like just don't touch anyone ever and don't like the the time for inappropriate jokes is way behind us. And if people haven't figured that out yet, I don't know what to say. <laughs> Sorry to remind everybody, but it's 2020. So yeah, like I grew up in the industry where, where it was everything was game. Like I'm I'm quite a bit older than you, but like when I was at like your age in the like working in bars and restaurants, there was nothing that was off limits. Really, it was just like it was like a fucking the ass slapping contest. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I thought I was driving, but almost like, like that when I worked at the yeah. lab. It was like a soft core <laughs> porn film at all times was, with the language and the yeah, and, yeah like it's just it's crazy nonsense happened all the time. And now you look back at it and you're like, oh, it just seemed normal back then, like okay. just like 1980s comedies. Yeah. Ski, <laughs> yeah. ski school. Yeah. yeah. Or like Porky's. Yeah. No. Olivia has no fucking clue what we're talking yeah. about. Right now. <laughs> well, your, your parents probably watch those movies. That's, That's okay. Shit. We don't need you, Olivia. We can just have a conversation ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> you can just sit here and ask you guys questions if you want. <laughs> okay. Let's get this back on track. <laughs> um, okay. So, uh, well, thanks for talking to us about that because I think it's an important subject and also very apropos for to talk to you about this when you went through that same program where all this shit's coming out right now. So I appreciate you talking about that. Um, let's talk. Let's let's bring it back on course to like nicer topics. Like, uh, so you're at Spork for a while. This is where you get you start really concentrating on your wine studies. But at some point, you decide that you might want to get into the whole craft cocktail. Yeah, for sure. Um, so not that I was getting bored with what I was doing, but again, the whole lifelong learner thing, I always have to continue to challenge myself because why not? Um, mm -hmm. 
And also like in my mind, like I had loved the industry. I do still love the industry, but I like had been falling in love with it. And I was like, oh, maybe one day, like I want to own a restaurant or a bar, like, mm-hmm. you know, long-term goal. Um, don't, don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> I know I've, I've talked myself out of it. No, it's good. Since then. Um, but, you know, I was, then I told myself, well, if I'm going to do that, like I have to know what it means to be in every position in a restaurant mm. um, because I wouldn't be a good bar owner if I didn't. Um, that's just like kind of how my brain come out. Uh, yeah, we need more people in the industry. Actually, I'm going to change my mind to do it because we need more people in the industry who have that mindset as opposed to guys who are just like, I like to drink in bars. I should own a bar. Yeah. Uh, you know, and also after, you know, going through this wine thing, I'm like, uh, there's still like, you know, those bartenders with their fucking mustaches and like vests and all of these tattoos standing behind the bar. And I was like, I'm still trying to stick it to the goddamn man right now. So <laughs> I'm going to know what you guys are doing and I'm going to end up doing it better. So you, um, grew, so you grew a mustache? Yeah, I did actually. <laughs> as poorly as I anticipated it to be. We have to find more malort. I don't know. Uh, okay, sorry, go on. <laughs> so I ended up getting a job at one of my favorite bars in Pittsburgh uh, called Acacia. Um, they don't have a kitchen, so they're strictly just craft cocktails um, and a few draft beers. And at first, it was very overwhelming. I can assure you, I broke. I would say 12 glasses my first weekend working there full time. Uh, you'll have to ask my coworkers at some point. I am notorious for breaking glasses in our ice well. Uh, and oh, ice bad, burned yeah. during the middle of service. Granted, yeah. the rail at this bar was very skinny and it's dark in there. And like, I try to give myself all the benefits of doubt. But um, yeah, I really fell in love with that too. It was like, you know, part chemistry class, part this conversation with like people who are so interested in what you're doing. And then also like this, like kind of like art to me, like where you're really mm. trying to hone in on like what the, like this bar was also like, you know, choose your own adventure. Like, what do you want in a cocktail? Um, oh, like the guests would be able to just say, I want yeah, this. Like, and- yeah. We had a menu, but they were mostly like, I want whiskey et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Um, so it was, you know, doing that, maintaining a balanced cocktail and then, you know, doing it with like a little flair without the mustache, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so um, that's obviously new to you at the time. How do you, how do you, and this is an interesting thing to talk about for just anybody. Like, how do you figure out how to do it? Um, so, you know, the basis of your knowledge, like, everything kind of stems from classic cocktails. So you take any of those specs, you change one thing a little bit, and then it goes one place. You change two things, it goes another place. Um, So kind of just like having that small library in the back of my head and then tweaking things a little bit. Um, I think the advantage that I have always had bartending is that I have this repertoire of like tasting notes from knowing wine because that's so intricate that I can kind of like hone in on any flavors and their, you know, capabilities to be together a little bit better than some of my bartending colleagues. Um, so I definitely use all of that knowledge. I was like, 
yeah, cinnamon, allspice, or these two things that probably don't have anything to do with each other actually are complementary. So let's do that in a cocktail. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that definitely helped me for sure. Yeah, it sounds like it would. That's funny. It's interesting. We talk to people who have been in the kitchen and have had that and then came out to the front of the house and had and like just having the palate and knowing how to pair flavors together has helped them so but that that's interesting from like the scholastic side of it is that's uh, yeah. um I can't tell you how many times the kitchen at Spork told me to please get out of the walk-in because I'd go in there and smell everything uh because I was like trying to train my nose to recognize all different kinds of you know flavors and smells but like i I hadn't known at the time. I can probably before I took my Insom exam, I can tell you the difference between like sage and rosemary. I have no mm-hmm. idea. So I uh, just be in the walk and like sniffing all of the produce. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's I mean, those are the, when you get into the wine size, that's one thing it really does teach you is like how to use your olfactory senses to um taste, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean that's the majority of your tasting palate when yeah. you're is that you're actually smelling it before mm. you're actually tasting it. Um, but I think that also translates to cocktails too. Cause like if you're heavy on garnishes and you're smelling something, you're not going to taste anything else that's in that drink. Uh, so I think that was a helpful tip. Yeah. Uh, so then uh, when you're, so you're, now you're working at this place and at what point are you like sort of responsible for creating cocktails on their list or did it happen quickly or? It was pretty uh, quick. Uh, So our staff, when I got there, was only four people. So it's a very tiny bar. We have 13 seats and then um, like four tables in the main bar area and then a back room. Uh, So everybody that works there is either a bartender or like a a bar back or like a a waiter. Um, So like we all very much like collaborated on any cocktails that got onto the menu. Uh, especially because I feel like we all had very different tastes of things. So I think that was very helpful too. Like I'm definitely like stiff drink, more booze forward. I love baking spices. If I can just stick to that, that's great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, where like my other coworker, she came from working um, in a tea shop. So, like, she was very honed in on flavors that complemented, like, tea drinks or just doing, like, different things. She'd, like, made a whole milkshake cocktail. I couldn't even tell you what was in it at this point. But uh, it was a very nice balance of, like, what we were putting on the menu. Um, And I also think those backgrounds helped us creating, like, cocktails when people were, like, calling things to us. Because most of the, like, I'm never going to be, like... Sometimes I would kind of, you know, just do something because I didn't know what I was doing or yeah, sure. what to do. But like, it was also nice having other people being like, when I when I'm wrong, I admit it. Or if I don't know something, I'm like, I have no idea what to do here. And I'd be like, Andrea, I need your help. <laughs> so yeah. that was, was nice to have people who like thought differently from you because like I was always building from spirits and she was always building from flavors. So I like loved that kind of okay what's the difference between those two things like how like how how would you describe the difference between like building from a spirit as opposed to building from a flavor so i would say from like a specific spirit i'm trying to extract and accentuate or complement flavors from that spirit where she would think of flavors like 
say she was thinking of like uh, vanilla, orange, and you know, lemon, she would take those things and then make a cocktail from like into that, that would express those flavors. Oh, okay. To me, she was always working backwards. Yeah. And, but to her, I was always working backwards. Uh, yeah. It's funny. I think if they both work on like, generally, I think you're right. Most people, like most bartenders start from the spirit and then move outwards. Sure. But like, I always thought it was so interesting. Like mm. you're trying to find spirits or combination of, of spirits that like matched what your end goal was. And I appreciated that more than anything. I was like, mm. I'm doing the exact opposite. And then, you know, trial and error for me was, I guess, less than what she did. Cause she was constantly trying to like mix things together to like get her end products. Yeah. I think it's going to be harder to attack it from yeah. that angle. Right. Like she also you... knew exactly what she wanted. Yeah. Well, and like, yeah, but that's interesting to talk about because how often do you feel like when you're starting out to craft a cocktail that you actually know where you're going with it or how much of it is like, well, this is just what happened. Uh, it's, Probably never that I. <laughs> yeah. Know what's happening. yeah. So that's interesting what you're saying about your friend there. It's like, yeah, that or your coworkers that like, yeah, to, to actually have the idea of like, this is what I want this drink to taste like, and then try to make it happen around that flavor. Where generally the rest of us are like, oh, well, I'm just trying some shit. <laughs> right. Yeah. And this is what it ended up tasting like, and it's good. This tastes good. This tastes good. This might taste good together. Maybe these three things taste good together. <laughs> I know the ratio this should be, so in theory. Yeah, yeah, like you know the basics, right? And then you go from there. How much do you think, um, how much do you think that the industry of craft cocktailing has changed to a point where people are not putting enough emphasis on how the drink tastes and putting more emphasis on how it looks? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, whew. So I think social media definitely has played a big part in that. Mm -hmm. uh, so when you're trying to, you know, market your restaurant or your bar or just yourself as a brand and like you post a picture on Instagram, like it's got to look good. Otherwise, yeah. who's going to look at that picture and see what's actually in the cocktail? Yeah, they can't yeah. taste it over Instagram, at least yet. I don't know. Maybe that's <laughs> Hey, okay. <laughs> 12, is that a feature? <laughs> um, so I think that for me is a problem because like I am probably not the biggest garnish queen. Like you, I appreciate them when they need to be there. Tiki, understand it. But like for me, I'm like lemon peel, orange yeah. peel. I'm kind of like you. I, I care much less about how it looks and much more about how it tastes. But yeah, yeah but I think it's because probably because we like to drink booze, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, like, there is an experience, like, in looking at something and enjoying it, yeah. and, you know, smelling something and enjoying it, and then tasting something and enjoying it. But, mm -hmm. like, for me, I think I don't prioritize the look of it. Like, glassware is my top priority for looks. Um, garnish, not so much. I think it's, like, frivolous. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're spending too much money on it, like, what are you really... Like, if that's getting taken off the drink and getting thrown in the trash, like, what are you doing for your bar costume? I'm going to take, take a clip of this, what you just said. I'm just going to let you know right now. I'm going to footnote you the whole time, but I'm just going to play this, like, Zoom call to my staff going forward from now on about stop wasting money on expensive, <laughs> time-consuming 
garnishes. Just make the fucking drink taste good. <laughs> All right. So just so, you, so you've been warned, I'm stealing it. <laughs> I, that sounds great. I mean, yeah. like as much as anybody else, like I have an appreciation for visual art, but at the same time, like it's a drink to be drank. Like yeah. we're not fucking around here, guys. Yeah. Like, well, I know. And I think that like, obviously the, the, the very best cocktails have both facets, right? But for sure. For but sure. I, I think I do. I do believe in the age of Instagram. We've we've come to a an Instagram bar stars. Um, we've come to a situation where it's all of a sudden the appearance of the drink, the cocktail, has taken prevalence over the actually whether it tastes good. Right. Um, I think that also ties into like you know all of the competitions that are happening over. I mean, I guess it was even before COVID and Zoom and stuff, but like why are we judging things over the way they look entirely when, you know, the substance and the depth of something matters a little bit more? I don't know, that's feel, my, my personal opinion. Yeah. <laughs> I don't get on anybody, but. Well, I, you're not going to get any negative grades on this <laughs> podcast for siding on the side of substance and depth. So, <laughs> uh, talk, but do you think that, talk to me a little bit about how, do you, the effect of competitions in general on the craft cocktail industry, positive, negative, somewhere in between? Um, so I have, I personally have only competed in a handful of competitions. Um, I'm not their biggest fan. I think people who find validation through those competitions, absolutely. Like if that's your thing, I support you in it. That's, great for you. Um, I don't find the challenge of a competition like satisfying in my professional life. I think more so like working with my guests every day is more of the challenge and like I find fulfillment in. Um, but I can understand like the recognition that comes through competing and like feeling like your hard work is like recognized is, Mm -hmm. is for some people. Um, I think it's elevated the craft cocktail industry too. I think there's like, you know, the, the, obviously cocktails are more well-known than they were, you know, 15, 20 years ago. You guys can tell me about that. <laughs> but, <laughs> Fuck you, Olivia. <laughs> but yes, we totally can. <laughs> um, it was, hey, not, it was not happening. Then. With the grasshopper, right? It was not happening. Uh, <laughs> I sold a lot of sex on the beaches back at the. Tequila <laughs> hey, sunrises are my guilty uh, pleasure, so it's fine. <laughs> uh, no, you're right. Like it, it wasn't the thing that like that long. Like that. I mean, and I don't know. That's why I think that. It, like this is why I was brought it up. It's like I think it has had a positive and a negative effect on the industry positive in the way that it really like you mentioned it has pushed forward what we're doing as bartenders to the point where like people are making some incredible shit right now and that's awesome and people are recognizing more bartenders as being artists and like right. biologists or well biologists is not the right word chemists sorry uh, i'm not i'm not as good at science as you <laughs> <That's> <laughs> but, uh, chemists but like you know what i mean like pushing it forward on that um, in that aspect, but also the 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 negative side of it is it's created the bar bartending star. It's created the the fact that 
like you're you're making a show or a visual that's more important than the actual flavor of the cocktail. Right. And I also think it comes down to like, you know, the brands almost like exploiting these people too. like, let me now show off these products that like, it's a marketing scheme, right? Mm. Like they're, they're doing it for their benefit. Like granted, like winners get to go take trips and everything, but like those brands are getting money out of it at the end of the day. That's selling cases for them. Yeah. Um, and not really the ones that we should be supporting. You know, right. those are still the big brands that can put the money and then get the money back. So I think that's part of the competition circuits issue. It's like, who, who are we actually benefiting at the end of the day? Like those bartenders get their 15 minutes of fame. And like, I love that. And I, I want my friends and colleagues to, to get their recognition, but that is only 15 minutes where, I don't know, those brands are getting all the cash. (laughs) You know, what would be a good idea for a competition is to like have like local distillers. Yeah, for sure. So it's like, okay, you get a bottle from this local distiller or or semi-local distiller, this one, this one, this one. Anyone can make a cocktail out of any of those choices. And then the winner gets like a gift basket of a bottle of all those. Like just very simple. You still get the recognition. Yeah. Do whatever you can with what you got. Yeah. I think that is a great example of your skill. Like you figure it out what you would be doing at work. Right. And you're not so handcuffed with like this this competition is once again about what can you make with Bacardi White? (laughs) (laughs) I didn't. (laughs) (laughs) No, but it's like, I mean, yeah, I, I I think we're getting at the same point. Okay, so you're working there at um, at 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 this uh, what? Sorry, what's the place called again? Uh, yes. Uh, t- talk to me a little bit about the scene in Pittsburgh. I went to um, Pittsburgh one time for a trip with a bunch of my friends, and we had an amazing time there. But we, I found it was like an incredible dive bar scene. Yeah, for sure. Um, that is definitely the majority of the bars in Pittsburgh. So like, think of where we are. We're still in Appalachia. Mm. United Steel, Town. Like, Steel Town, like all blue collar jobs, you know, these people who work these like really hard nine to five. Um, so dive bars definitely take precedent over craft cocktails. Um, in the last like, I'd say eight to 10 years, there have been a movement for craft cocktails. Um, I think that mostly has to do with we're also a big college town. There's seven universities here. Mm. Um, so like the younger people are actually staying in the city now. So like now there's like a lot of young professionals. Um, we have a big downtown district. So, you know, there's a lot of like 20 somethings like now looking for something to do. Mm. So I think that definitely had a, a part to do with like why we have more craft cocktail bars. Um but I would say it's still, I'm, we're, we can always get better. It's still, it's still getting there. Um, yeah, like, so like, what would you say? That's kind of where I was going with this. So what, like, what is the craft cocktail bar scene like in Pittsburgh? Like, obviously the one that you worked at, but would you say that there's, I mean, Pittsburgh's a big city. Like, are there tons or are like, or is there a small amount that are just kind of trying to make it happen? I would venture to say a handful of strictly 
bars. Um, a lot of restaurants have like some really awesome programs. Obviously, like the food is going to be um, more centered there. Um, but I have this conversation with a lot of Philly friends too. Uh, Pittsburgh's bar scene and their cocktail scene is actually better than what they have in Philly. Really? Shocking to me. I'm like, we have, we're so tiny, but like, we're also, again, we use like our Pittsburgh, like blue collar, hardworking mentality and like put that towards any job we're doing. So like, that's why we have like such a good craft cocktail scene here too. Like people were definitely on board with like, doing an amazing job and getting it off the ground. So working. yeah, for sure. Um, so I would say like we have a nationally recognized tiki bar called Hidden Harbor here. Um, super excellent place. Uh, they have a little sister restaurant as well. That's craft cocktails. Um, but there is a whole handful and I've never been disappointed in cocktails, but maybe that's because I like to drink. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, it's, it's interesting to say, like, I, honestly, we, like, as a, a Canadian coming to Pittsburgh, we didn't really know what the scene was going to be. And For I sure. will tell you, we had so much fun at all the awesome dive bars there, but yeah. I, we just didn't know that there was probably a craft cocktail scene going on. So whatever. <laughs> but like karaoke's like, and playing pool, Pittsburgh is the best city to come to. <laughs> oh, man. So we, <laughs> we were coming from Canada. This is probably maybe like five, six years ago now. Um, like you haven't been able to smoke a cigarette in a bar in where we're from in how many years now? 2000. Yeah. So 20 yeah. years, 20 years. And the first dive bar that we went to in Pittsburgh was like a cloud of smoke. <laughs> it was like right in your face. It was like, I felt like I needed like, um, what do you call those? Uh, a fucking respirator. A respirator. Yeah. To like, just, just, to, just to enjoy my, local Pittsburgh craft beer, but it was like, it was a real eye opener, except that you couldn't open your eyes because smoke would get in. Do <laughs> <laughs> you, you remember where you were? Uh, I can't remember what it was called. It was like, I think we like literally just Googled cool bars to go to in Pittsburgh. But, we but probably so, at Jack's, which is. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah that um, might, it was awesome, but yeah, yeah. It's a staple. It's going to be there, I think, until, you know, the world burns down so was, you guys somewhere to drink next week uh come to jackson <laughs> hey, can you still smoke inside in pittsburgh in pittsburgh uh the majority of bars that don't sell food so uh, if you basically it's like yeah, uh, that's what they told me because like, yeah. they didn't sell because i was stunned i was like how do you smoke cigarettes like, oh, oh, wow. we don't smell food. we don't you're sell basically, food in pennsylvania you're kind of grandfathered into that law so if you were open before they told people to stop smoking in bars you were solid uh, so that's basically the dive bar scene. There are very few dive bars uh, that you go to, and there's no smoking. Yeah. Huh. Kind of eclectic. Like, it's uh, takes me back to when my parents took me into the bar when I was little. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That sounds like good parenting. Um, <laughs> what, uh, talk to me about um, the different, like, what, what sparked the move to, to Philadelphia then? Uh, so initially I was going to work, um, on a restaurant project with a friend. Um, so one of my, um, he's a mentor, a friend, and also now my roommate. Um, I met at a cocktail conference in San Antonio, um, offered me a job at the place he was helping open. And I was 
gung-ho for it. I visited Philly in the end of February and I was like, this sounds great. I want to see all the dive bars in <laughs> Philly. So I know this is some place I can actually hang out. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, fits the bill, less smoke. Uh, <laughs> sounds great. Um, and I had made plans to quit my job, you know, get out of my lease uh, and move across the state right before COVID happened. Um, so I kind of just like followed through with that. Uh, my entire family lives closer out east and my twin brother actually just had a baby. So kind of just like all worked out, although I'm not working at that job. That and, not, and not allowed to go see anybody. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. so, well, it's not a good idea at the time. It also felt like the right time to make a change. Um, you know, I've been living in Pittsburgh my entire adult life. And uh, the cool thing about being in this industry too is like the camaraderie and also like this like cool knowledge of like knowing everybody throughout this country slash world and uh you know gave me an opportunity I wouldn't have really anywhere else Mm -hmm. or any other industry so I was like you know what if I hate it I can move back it's not a terrible thing um Mm. and I think I'd feel that way if I moved you know across the country to California right still support systems in any city you go to as a bartender. So this would normally be the time where I would ask you, like, if you notice a big difference between the bar scene in Pittsburgh and Philadelphia, but you probably aren't able to go to bars so much, right? Yeah, I yeah. have had a handful of to-go cocktails. Yeah. And right. <laughs> here in the park, which is fun. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, let me ask you this, because uh, you had mentioned this to me earlier, um, about how to be mindful of the the products that you use behind the bar and how that affects the experience? Oh, for sure. Um, so this kind of ties back to like that competition um, conversation we were having. Um, so I think also with like the wine world and then also my roommate, Brandon, um, who I met at this cocktail conference, like kind of, you know, brought to my attention, like how, we need to pay attention to alcohol, same as we do like with the vegetables and like produce that grow out of the ground. Like those grains are still agricultural products that we are exploiting farmers to harvest for us. And like, that's a really uh, kind of toxic cycle sometimes, especially when it comes to our environment. Um, and like monocultures, which are terrible for the earth. Um, So I think also like paying attention to like supporting, especially now like your local communities and like your local spirits, uh, you want those to exist in the next two years, right? Mm -hmm. I I do certainly. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'd rather see those still having a business compared to the well-known products that are always going to be behind the bar. That money is always going to be there where these small businesses that like are potentially struggling, um, you know, are good to their workers. They're good to the farmers. They're doing things sustainably. They're creating, you know, a, a good working relationship then with the people who are buying their products. Um, that, those are the things that we should be conscious about. Like I'd rather, upcharge a cocktail a dollar or two in order to support those local businesses over taking the cheaper out 
and making a buck for myself. Granted, I am not a business owner. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, <laughs> I can't speak from experience, but like in theory, that makes a little bit more sense to me. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I feel like they're better made. They're made with care and like with hands of my friends or, you know, families that are doing that for their livelihood. So I, that's why I say like, pay attention to what we're we're actually putting in the glass because uh, with, you know, those visual, those, uh, um, uh, oh my goodness, what is the word that I'm looking for? Smell. Uh, <laughs> all the factor? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Um, you know, there's also like this uh, complexity of like, I'm helping somebody's family like put you know, food in their mouths or, you know, keep their, their business running because I'm selling it in a cocktail. Right. Um, and do you, how do you transfer that information to the guests so that they know what you're doing? Like it's, it's, it's very easy. For instance, what I'm, I guess what I'm getting at is like, if it's on a menu, a food menu, this is right there, farm to table. People know what that means now. They like to support it. I mean, I think, honestly, half the time people don't know what it fucking means, but they just know <laughs> that that's something they should support. But, but like, how, when you're talking about in the, like, the crafting of a cocktail or, or just the rail that you have behind the bar or whatever, how do you get that across to the guest? Sure. So uh, the first question I ask myself is, like, how did I get to the point to buy it, to put it behind my bar? Because my rep was excited to sell it to me because the producer was excited to sell it to the rep or the company. So like, that's the trickle down effect. And like, I get excited about it. And like, I tell my guests, like, this is an amazing product. It's worth your money. This is something that I put a lot of thought into when it went into your glass the same way that person who made this did the same thing and like I find that to be a great strategy also Mm -hmm. it tastes good like you know whatever it is like unless it isn't like I'm not gonna sell bullshit to people but right 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 right. because there is small craft bullshit (laughs) there always is yeah Uh, absolutely yeah do you think that like putting putting it on the menu makes a difference like 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 breaking it down on the actual physical menu or is it more like I feel like sometimes but like who actually reads the entire menu? Right. I know. That's but the problem, right? on the menu. Like I'm, I never take the time. I like see one thing that I like and I'm like, okay, I'm going to get that. But maybe I'm too lazy, but. <laughs> you know what I do? I see like three things that I like and then I order an Italian red wine. <laughs> so, so I know what you mean. Well, like, it's crafted like, and you're yeah. saving that family's farm. Yeah. I, you know what? Yeah, exactly. But uh, the, <laughs> Actually, we, we've had guests on the show before where they were talking about, like, that's kind of changed my mind on this. It's like, it's, uh, I think it was Josh Lindley who said this, but, like, if you, um, if somebody has taken the time to put together a cocktail list and you, if you are in the industry and you know what goes into that, you should at least try one of them. And then. I appreciate go, that. I love yeah. that. Yeah. So I'm trying, I'm, I'm kind of trying to change because I'm like old now and it's set in my ways and like, like to drink what I like to drink. And I go to the bar. I'm like, I just like, no, I want a glass of red wine or a glass of white wine if I'm in the mood for that or whatever. It's going to be wine but or whiskey. But like now I just got to get back to this mode of like, okay, some 
these like I, I've done this, you've done this, everybody's in the industry is in the crack cocktailing business has done it. You, we know what goes into it. Yeah. We, you almost owe the the whoever crafted the list. The, yeah, I love that perspective, but that's yeah. also the reason like why I love short cocktail lists. I'm like, stick to five guys. Mm-hmm. Do five cocktails. Like you should know your audience is also going to order the classics. And then those five that you crafted and like took the time to, you know, make up yourself, like that's all you need. Okay. I'm glad you brought that up because I, that's what I feel, but I have so many guests come in now to my bar and like, well, like right now, especially post COVID because we, we don't, we don't, we're not in a situation where we can afford to throw out a lot of waste and ingredients that if we didn't sell a certain cocktail, that week so we have a very small tight list and i've had people like get upset walk out like oh you're a cocktail bar and you only have a, like five cocktails on your list like i go to toronto and they have 34 and i'm like but do they now like and also that's too fucking many yeah who has the you know cost percentage to be putting that much shit? yeah it sounds like they're flushing money down the toilet but that's great that, that, that you that <laughs> you like it <laughs> yeah yeah, like, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know if you found that yourself, but because I agree with you that a smaller, tighter list is better. But I find like now because some bars do that, like the cut, the guest has been preconditioned to assume that if you're a cocktail bar, you need like a 20 cocktail list or something. I feel like if I ran, if I were working right now in a bar and I ran into that situation, like. I would then ask them like, what are, what are you looking for? Like, I have the stuff back here. Like mm. I got to mix it for you individually. Yeah. Like- yeah. <laughs> I've tried that, but it doesn't always work. Sometimes they're like, cause they don't know. That's the thing. They want you to tell them what they want and you haven't told them enough different ways. <laughs> <laughs> you, gotta, you gotta hype that one thing up that you think they want and you're like exactly oh, put it on the menu yeah do you want this yeah that's the thing and like I, the guest just wants to feel special like exactly. there's one thing i've learned down to. <laughs> yeah yeah okay well olivia thanks so much for joining us today oh, i really appreciate it uh you're a cool lady um and i wish you best of luck in in uh in philly now hopefully you find a job when things get back to normal you're clearly talented and you know what the fuck you're doing so thanks for joining us we really appreciate it and uh, best of luck thank you so much i appreciate being on here uh everybody if you're religious please pray for america (laughs) (laughs) that's that's gonna be a long Whatever you have to, because we're in the next 48 hours. Yeah, yeah. By the time people are listening to this, we'll know one way or the other. And I'll check in with you. Make sure you're safe. (laughs) Okay, thanks, Olivia. Thanks very much. Hey, guys, thank you.